Welcome back to the Messy Reformation. My name's Jason Rice. I'm the lead pastor at Faith Community CRC in Beaver Dam, Wisconsin. My co-host is Willie Cronkey. He's a member at Pease CRC in Pease, Minnesota. We're just a couple of guys who love the Christian Reformed Church and want to see Reformation happen in our denomination. But we realize that whenever Reformation happens, in the history of the church, things get messy. And after the last couple of synods, nobody's going to disagree that things are really getting messy in the Christian Reformed Church. So we're having conversations with pastors throughout the Christian Reformed Church to find out what's going on in our denomination, but also to talk about what Reformation might look like. If you haven't already, take a moment, click subscribe so you don't miss any of our upcoming content. We're dropping episodes every single Sunday evening. It's also important for you to know that you are our marketing plan. We rely on you to spread the word about what we're doing at the Messy Reformation. We rely on you to share our content. We also rely on you to give us five-star reviews and provide good feedback for our podcast so that the algorithms push our content out into the world. You are our marketing plan. You can also support us financially on Patreon. All the money from Patreon is being used to fund online hosting and to build the platform of the Messy Reformation. You may even see a Messy Reformation conference coming in 2024. So keep your eyes peeled for an announcement. With all that said, we're going to get to this week's episode, which is part one of Willie and I's conversation about what happened at Synod 2023. Hey, everybody. Thanks for being patient with us following up after Synod. Both Willie and I were delegates again at Synod 2023, and uh, we needed a week of recovery. So that's why we had one week off. We don't miss a week very often, but we figured it was okay for us to miss a week following Synod 2023 because, as people already know, it was pretty messy and uh, pretty exhausting. And so we needed a week to, to just simply recover. But our kind of goal in this episode and uh, the next few interviews is really to kind of reflect and digest on what happened at Synod, what was encouraging, what was discouraging, and then where do we go from here? And so uh, Willie and I are going to talk about that. I'm going to be mainly asking Willie some of his thoughts because I've already had an opportunity to, an opportunity to share some of my thoughts. So Willie, what, uh, why don't you just start off, tell us, what was your role at Synod? And, uh, and what advisory committee did you serve on? Well, thanks, Jason. Um, so this year I was returning, but not in the same role that I was last year. Last year I was a young adult representative. I also was in 2019. This year uh, I was actually up to go as an ethnic advisor. So that was the capacity that I served in. And I uh, I don't know, going into this, I was not feeling very good about it because People know how I feel about these kind of roles and positions in the denomination, um, but that was part of the brainchild for getting me to go. But it really did give me a really unique perspective. Uh, so I actually did appreciate getting to go as an ethnic advisor. I got to see quite a few things. Um, there was a Korean delegate actually in my committee, and he had to have a translator the whole time. Uh, so to see that was actually really cool. Um, and the Koreans, as you know, were some of the ones who spoke very favorably about the decisions that we made in 2022 and then again this year in 2023. And I got to see that even with English as his second language. So yeah, that was part of my role. Yeah. One of the, one of the coolest things and not that I'm trying to jump in already, but it's not only that 
the Koreans spoke favorably, but they spoke boldly and the mm-hmm. most boldly of any other delegate at Synod this past year. Not just the Koreans, but Christian Sebastia, who's, mm-hmm. you know, Hispanic. I mean, he's from Texas. He grew up or he's from Venezuela. Ultimately, he spoke boldly and his daughter, Samantha. And um, yeah, all of our ethnic minority delegates spoke clearly and boldly. And they really spoke more boldly than most of the rest of the delegates at Synod, I would say. Mm-hmm. Yep. No, I would agree with that. Now, the other question you ask, what advisory committee did I serve on? Is that the next one? Yeah. Um, so I served on advisory committee seven um, and that was human sexuality. And mm-hmm. there was a lot of overlap, I think, between seven, my committee and eight, your committee. Some of our work bled into each other. Um, so some of our work actually was dependent on what the other committee was doing. Uh, mm-hmm. So we were, in a sense, placing a lot of trust uh, in each other to say, we're going to take these steps in hope that they are taking these steps. Uh, and then we weren't even positive which committee was going to get to present to the floor first. Um, mm-hmm. So it was all a, a big kerfuffle. Um, but anyway, that's the committee that I was on. And that committee was chaired by uh, Willem Delaman. Um, and I think he actually did an excellent job of facilitating conversations while the group stayed in consensus. And we did end up going our separate ways into minority majority reports. Um, I, I was one of the endorsers. I couldn't sign on publicly because I wasn't a delegate, but I was an endorser of the majority report. And, um, my hands were in the writing of the majority report a little bit. And it was a collaborative effort on several parts, but I had a little bit to do with it. Yeah, and you guys had a lot of work before. I mean, our two committees had the the most significant workloads of of overtures. I think we had twenty eight overture. Yeah. Uh, the in loco committee report, uh, Neilan's appeal, plus some communications. So we had over thirty different things to deal with. How many did you guys? How many overtures were you guys dealing with? I might get this wrong. Aaron Vreesman will correct me. I know. But uh, I want to say we had 33 overtures going to our committees. We did deal with some communications as well. I can't remember exactly how many, maybe two to four communications. So 37 things on our docket that we were yeah. going through. within, <laughs> And then we're supposed to get them done Friday and Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> which, which I assume Willem, well, I know Willem was thinking the same thing that I was because we talked about that, realizing that there's no way either of our committees was going to be done Saturday night. And so we were just planning on um, extending our work. So I, I was able to help, well, not just me, our committee was able to get our work done by lunchtime on Monday, which was pretty good. I wasn't actually sure we were going to get it done that quickly. Um, and you guys finished up, I think, late Monday night, didn't you? Yes, we were done late Monday. That is correct. Uh, I think in between 1015 and 1030, we were done as a as a joint committee. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, oh, did, so you still had work going on Tuesday as well? Tuesday is when majority and minority committees were meeting to form their reports. So, oh, okay. yeah. So we were meeting still during lunches on Tuesday uh, as minority majority committees to do our work uh, independently. So we were still working into Tuesday. 
Oh, so I misunderstood that. I thought you guys finished all of your work Monday night, but yeah, you guys went even longer into Tuesday. Yeah, we were not finished with all of our work by Monday. It would have been nice, but uh, we were not. And I do have to take a moment here to just um, give a word of praise, actually, to Willem Delaman. Uh, He ended up being the chair, obviously, of my committee, but he was also the chair of the minority report. Um, Mm -hmm. And I will say this about him. We we did come to a point of disagreement to a point where we couldn't continue together. Uh, But that being said, I think he was extremely charitable and fair in how he led discussions and how he uh, tried to facilitate conversations in such a way as to get the most work done um, as a consensus. Um, I think it was Saturday. uh, He kind of, had us all answer a question around a table and I won't get too particular into some of these matters, but it was basically like, show your cards. What are some things you can and can't disagree with about this? And I think that was the moment he discerned, we are probably going to go minority majority. And it was at that point he said, okay, then let's get as much done together as we possibly could. Um, And that's exactly what we did. And I've said this to several people. If I was going into this, last year well 2023's synod as chair of that committee in willem's shoes i would have done things completely differently and i know now i would have been wrong to do so Mm. um i would have had everybody as soon as we sat down state your name and classes and say now where is everybody at on the big elephant in the room um but really i thought it was wonderful that we were able to present a unified report on so many matters and the way in which he led and facilitated those conversations was exemplary. So that's just a shout out to Willem Delaman and his leadership. Yeah, and I would just jump in on that and just talk just from my committee's perspective as well. One of the, you know, a lot of people have said over the the years that everyone coming into Synod already has their mind made up. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I would say that that's not true based on what I saw in my committee anyways. Mm. Uh, that that when we first showed up, we kind of shared some things at the beginning about what we were concerned about, what things we valued, kind of where we were at. We did kind of, I suppose, in that way, show our cards a little bit where we were at. Um, and I thought, boy, we're going to have majority minority reports coming out everywhere sure. um, in this committee. And yet the more we talked and the more we sought to understand one another, the more unified we were, right? And I thought, I think a lot of people were actually surprised how unified the report was coming out of our committee as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's because we were able to to listen and a few people told me that they came in expecting to make decisions a different way, but eventually um, decided to, to kind of, they, they saw the, the wisdom of, of the body. And, and uh, so we were able to come out with, yeah, vast majority unified reports coming out of our committee. Right. I mean, we only had, basically one recommendation about gravamen where we had a majority minority report on. And right. So um, that was, that was a really good experience. It was a heavy experience to chair a committee like that. So just mm-hmm. to put, you know, um, it was heavy to think, try to figure out how do we wade through all of this? And especially for our committee, we had, uh, I had put together, or actually I had kind of put together a list and someone else on the committee had helped we had 60 different, different requests. So just 60 different, so we had 30 overtures, but like 60 very different requests being made of us mm-hmm. and trying to figure out how to wade through all of that in a, 
in a helpful way was was so hard. But but yeah, we were able to to get a lot done, and and we ended up meeting Sunday night as a committee. I didn't want to meet on Sunday, um, but the committee overruled me, and I was okay with that. I guess I was going to let them. They wanted to meet Sunday night to try to get some work done. And so it was Sunday night when we realized we were going to have a minority majority report. So then Monday morning, we worked through that together. Mm-hmm. Well, we split, we came together, we split, we came back together again, trying to find as much consensus as we could. And mm-hmm. so it was a really good experience. And, uh, and yeah, we had, you know, Willem uh, spoke on the floor uh, before your committee report came talking about the, the, the amount of unity and the, in your committee that was helpful. The lot of the camaraderie, the kind of generous spirit in your committee. I, I felt that in my committee as well. Uh, do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah. Um, I appreciated what Willem said from the floor about that very much. Um, it was hard for some of us to part ways. Uh, and in a sense, it was hard for all of us to part ways. It's hard to come to a point of understanding that we can't be unified any longer we have determined as much together as is allowed for us to do, given the binding of our consciences. Um, and so it is time to part ways. So in that sense, it was hard for all of us. Um, now, when we went our separate ways to write our reports, after we were both done, we did meet one more time uh, to just kind of do some final summation and then to have all of the signatories give their endorsements to each specific report. And then we actually got to read our reports in total. Um, And even that was good for my committee, I would say. When we were reading our reports, we had several people um, from the minority report saying, you guys did a really good job. Um, And then when they were reading theirs, you know, I had heard what they were trying to accomplish. And I, I said, that is well written too. And I can appreciate the spirit in which you're coming from, um, from your perspective. So that was another moment where it's like, <laughs> we're, we're facing the elephant right now. We are facing the point of contention, of disagreement. And we could still appreciate people's minds and hearts and presence in the room, um, knowing that when we get to the floor of Synod, we're no longer unified on this issue. And the body is going to have to determine which of these reports they take up. Um, So in a sense, it was hard, but it was very rewarding. Um, Everybody contributed to committee seven in a way that was um, commendable, I think. Uh, And it was a very valuable time for everybody. Um, We, we got so far as a unified committee and I am proud of the work that we did. And I am also proud for everybody that did show their integrity in saying, I can't agree with you on this issue. We must go our separate ways. That does take integrity. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I very much appreciated that from our committee. I agree with what Willem said. Yeah. And that's one of the, uh, it's one of the interesting things where I don't know if there's, it's not confusion, but. I think there's this at least misunderstanding that when we disagree with someone so sharply on such strong things, we, we almost like hate them. Right. Right. Um, and, uh, and I think I know my committee was able to have those kind of conversations where we disagreed very strongly mm-hmm. with one another over, over certain issues, but we were able to do it in a spirit of love and humility and, and kindness and gentleness. And, and we, things got heated 
mm-hmm. heated is maybe not the best word, passionate mm-hmm. anyways, because these are weighty matters. And, uh, and I reminded our committee, that's okay for us to be passionate about things as long as we're doing it in spirit of, of humility and love and, and gentleness. That's okay. And, uh, and so that was really good. But, but one of the things I want to talk to you about is because uh, both your committee and my committee both felt that, that kind of generosity of spirit and, and unity um, in our committee work. But then it did seem like when things got to the floor of Synod, um, some of that went away. Yeah. And so I, I want to hear, what are your thoughts? Why do you think that's the case? I have some of my own thoughts, but I want to hear yours first. Um, yeah, I think it was partially because of the, the general atmosphere of the Synod floor. I mean, when you're on the floor of Synod, this is when the decisions are made. And Synod has its processes. Um, for example, when a minority and majority report are written, they defer back to the majority automatically. And there needs to be a motion to table the majority in order to take up the minority. Or the, mi- or the majority needs to be completely voted down um, before the minority is considered. And everybody knows the odds of those things happening are so low. Um, and there were efforts to table majority reports uh, from your committee and mine. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it was, it did come out of a, a sense of, I think a little bit of desperation, uh, in saying this is the only way that our work can be considered in an honest fashion. Um, but then coming to the realization that we are going to stick with the majority reports on this and we're doing that because the body is 70 to 75% unified on these matters. Um, so I think again, it was a shock in terms of um, the numerical delegation that was before us at Synod. Um, I do understand that people were very adamant in wanting the vote count uh, because it, this was even stated on the floor of Synod. I've been hearing for a year that the numbers that were projected at last year's Synod are a representation of the denomination. And I want to know if that's true or not. And we found that almost to the exact number, that is the case. Um, So I do think that was also a bit earth shattering. I mean, I I was a little bit surprised to see a number as high as 72, 73%. Um, I I was very encouraged and optimistic when I saw those numbers uh, because of where my perspective is. Now, for somebody who doesn't share that, I can see where discouragement may come about. And from that, I can see where tensions would arise. Um, and, and I, I can see how, um, I don't want to say true colors. That's not what I want to say, but I do want to say where more of the points of contention, um, are able to come out in a little bit more of an aggressive manner and tone. So I do think that is why some of it kind of went away on the Senate floor, but we have to understand that's on the Senate floor. If people had been in our advisory committees, they would have shaken their heads and went, wow, these are very charitable disagreements. Yeah. Um, and it is possible for us to have those, but on the Senate floor, unfortunately, not as much. Well, it's different too, right? And this is one of the things I, I think people don't realize is that that conversations happening on the Senate floor are going to be very different than conversations happening in an advisory committee. 
That's right. right. The, the tone and the manner in which we speak is different in the context in which we speak, right? I remember listening to John Piper talk about that. When you preach, you you speak in different tones and manners than when you're sitting down and counseling someone at their bedside, mm-hmm. right? It, it's just a very different thing. When you're sitting down having a cup of coffee with someone, that's different than debating them on the floor uh, of synod. And so people need to realize ju- that just the tone and nature of of conversation changes for one, when it comes out of advisory committee to the floor of synod. So that's, I think that's part of it where it seems more intense. It seems more angry um, in some ways um, just because of the nature of it. But also I think you're right. Um, Part of the reason why things did get more intense on the synod floor is that's where the rubber hits the road. That's right. So in advisory committee, all of the, the, everything coming out of advisory committees are advisory. They're saying, here are some ideas. And so um, now synod, when it hits the synod floor, now it's time to vote and to make a final decision. Yes or no. And, uh, and that's when anxiety picks up for people. That's when anger, frustration picks up because um, a decision is going to be made. Mm-hmm. And so it's easy to find unity on, well, here's some recommendations that we're bringing to Synod, but it's a lot harder to find that unity and generosity when it's, we're going to say yes or no to what your recommendation is. And so mm-hmm. I think, I think we just have to understand that that's going to happen just because of the nature of, of what it is. Yeah, I, I would completely agree with that. And I do think there were exchanges made on the Synod floor that were correct and were charitable, but I do think those were overcast by dialogue that happened that was not so charitable too. Um, So I think both of those things were in play. Um, And there were plenty of things that led to that. I mean, we ended up meeting late um, a couple of times too on the synod floor and that never helps things either. Um, We're already working on a lack of sleep. And then when you push somebody later into the night, and then you set up the next day, uh, you know, in a sense, it's a little bit set up for failure. Um, yeah. I would say it's at least set up for poor deliberation. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I agree. I think there's a lot of that. And I appreciate a couple of the people, you know, there was a, a couple of people who did feel like they crossed the line when they spoke and they got up and asked forgiveness. They admitted it, acknowledged it, repented. And Yep. And, uh, and I have a lot of respect for anybody who, who's willing, uh, willing to do that. That means a lot. Mm-hmm. I want to, I want to shift now and just, uh, one of the questions that I always like to ask, or we always like to ask people coming out of Synod is, um, what encouraged you about, uh, Synod 2023? A number of things. Um, I have been, the more I reflect on it, the more encouraged I get, actually. Um, I'm going to go ahead and start with the young adult representatives. And I'm going to start there because that's where my journey in Synod started. Um, It was an overwhelming majority of the young adult representatives spoke in favor of or in endorsement to orthodox sexuality matters and even matters of discipline. That to me has been kind of uh, reminiscent of what we've been talking to for years. Younger people are looking for the truth of how God has spoken. They are looking for the marks of the true church, and they're not looking for things that are watered down in such a way so as to bring forward a young people's initiative under the guise of unity 
um, all done in the name of pragmatics. They don't want pragmatics. They want truth. Um, and I saw that this year in an overwhelming fashion. So that encouraged me very much. It was also encouraging for me again. I spoke to my experience as an ethnic advisor. I got to spend some time with the other ethnic advisors and then witnessing some translating that was going on. That was valuable for me uh, because it helped me understand where we are actually united. Uh, people talked all the time at Synod uh, about us being a diverse body. And I know what that word means when somebody says it. And it bothers me to no end. Um, and they never talk about where our unity lies. Because our unity lies in our confessional identity. As Christians, and in this denomination, as a Christian Reformed church, who subscribe to the three forms of unity. And we saw every ethnic minority delegate who spoke on the floor speak in favor of our confessional convictions. Mm -hmm. And that is what unifies us. That was what was so encouraging to me was to say, yeah, we are getting more ethnically diverse in the CRC. Whether that's a virtue or a vice, I would argue it's neither. But where we are united is where we stand as a denomination. And these delegates and advisors were willing to speak in a very clear and honest and bold fashion and saying, this is how God has spoken to us. This is how we are to live. And this is how we as a church are to operate if we're to be faithful to his word. So that was encouraging to me. Mm -hmm. Another thing that was encouraging to me was the vote counts. I remember going into synod thinking, I think we are pushing it if the Orthodox have a two-thirds majority. I, I kept saying that over and over again. I'm pretty sure I'm on public record saying, well, we will have two-thirds majority, and that's about it. Yeah. Uh, and again, was I, was I off by a lot? Not necessarily, but it's enough for me to say I was wrong. Mm -hmm. um, and there were plenty of people who... Um, uh, you know, I think you're right, who were persuaded um, by the truth of what our confessions do teach. Um, but then there were also plenty of people who said, you know, this is just where I've been for a very long time, and I'm not moving on this. And even people in very hard situations who say, yeah, I have a son who is in a same-sex relationship, and I love them to death, but I also believe in what the Bible says about this. And they are living into the tension that we as a Christian Reformed Church have had to live in for the last 50 years. Um, so those things were very encouraging to me, too. Um, there were obviously other things, but just to bounce that off you really quickly, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the huge things, and I've already mentioned this a, a little bit, but I'll just keep emphasizing it, is what you mentioned regarding unity. Um, one of the big things, as I reflected more and more after Synod, I, I realized, man, there was an incredible amount of unity at Synod um, around our confessions, um, even to the point of where, you know, there were people who had, who were assuming that, that I was like talking to, I knew these people forever and ever and ever. Right, mm -hmm. that we had been friends and we had been talking leading up to synod just because of the way we were interacting with one another. And I had to say, no, I've never met this person until I got to synod. 
But mm-hmm. when, once we met, once we started talking, once we started engaging, we, we recognized that there was unity here um, mm-hmm. based on our confessional understanding. And uh, it was encouraging. It's so encouraging to realize that the, this unity is actually happening. The unity that people are praying for in the CRC is happening. Mm-hmm. Um, now, it's gonna, there's going to be some birth pains in that as it's lived out, but but there is this unity that's coming about in the CRC, which is super encouraging. And yeah, I'll just reemphasize with you too. I mean, I was so encouraged by all of our young adult representatives. I mean, it was like a whole nother level were willing to speak and that's a big deal for for younger representatives to speak on the synod floor and they spoke with clarity and boldness um they were really active in their advisory committees from what i understand Mm -hmm. i mean they they uh they really represented christ well and so just as a as a former youth pastor that always gets my gets me extra extra happy and excited so and i would say too just in general i if you go back and you look at all of the decisions that were made at Synod, um, I'm encouraged by them, mm-hmm. by vast majority of the decisions that were made. Yes, there's one, you know, one recommendation from my committee that didn't pass that um, that would fall under my kind of discouraging moment of Synod. But mm-hmm. but in general, the motions that were passed were 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 really good. And so as I've been telling people. I feel good and I'm encouraged about the the direction that the CRC is heading right now. Mm-hmm. I guess one final thing um, in terms of my encouragements is actually the disagreements that were had in an honest and charitable fashion. Uh, and I'm, I am mainly talking about the ones that happened in our advisory committees, but also the ones that happened informally over lunches you know, mm-hmm. over, over meals, uh, people would say, Hey, where are you at on this issue? Well, why do you think that? Well, but if we bring God's word to bear on it, doesn't it say this? And there were points of honest correction and also honest disagreements, but they weren't done, uh, by ending in shouting matches. Uh, they were done in a spirit of, well, obviously I see things a different way. And again, I think this goes back to an apologetic method. This goes back to your ultimate commitments. Um, mm-hmm. And you have to, what do you have to do in order to abandon your ultimate commitments? You have to adopt somebody else's. Um, and that takes a uh, work of the spirit to do, I believe. Um, but anyway, we were able to have these disagreements in a very charitable and honest fashion in a way that said, wow, we're really not unified on this issue um, or on these issues. But that doesn't mean that I can't sit across from you and have a cup of coffee. Or we can't actually sort out where the clash is, or we can't actually see what scripture says about these issues. Um, and we can't do so level headed. I, I saw plenty of that happening. Um, and that was something, you know, I've, I've engaged in these contentious conversations for a long time now. And to see them happen, not just with myself, but as a witness to those conversations happen, I was like, that actually does give me hope. Yeah. Um, that, you know, if the CRC, does end up transitioning and we do end up going different ways um, with people that I think that can actually happen too in a way um, that is charitable and that is um, gracious. And that does say, you know, we want you to be able to serve in good conscience, but we are to a point of disagreement here. And it is disagreement to the point where we're no longer united. We're no longer 
together. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, that was encouraging to me too. Yeah. And I think, you know, whether you want to say it's encouraging, it sounds bad to say it's encouraging, but um, my, my favorite word, I had someone in my committee who was tallying up the number of times I said the word clarity mm-hmm. in, a, in an advisory committee. I don't know. I hit way higher than I probably should have, but, but we had said that there's going to be some clarity coming out of Synod and, and, you know, some of the discouragement that we'll probably talk about in a little bit is there isn't as much clarity as some had hoped for, but mm-hmm. there is definitely clarity coming out of this past Synod that, that we're divided, right? I don't think anybody can come out saying um, that, that we're, that we're unified as a denomination after Synod 2023. Like right. It's very, very clear that there's no way for us to move forward together. Um, there has to be some kind of a plan um, on on how how we're going to split there there will be a split and so and I think uh, we just we have to start working toward that in, in some way and do it graciously I don't think I don't know a single conservative who doesn't want to see that split happen graciously um that uh so let's let's start working toward that and see what we can do I mean there was you know, there's moments even on the synod floor, right, where where people were recommending mm-hmm. a, some form of gracious separation because I think everybody was seeing that clearly. That yeah, here's where we're at, and uh, and it's going to do nobody any good for us to keep coming back synod after synod after synod, like pummeling one another. Um, that that really the the best way forward is um, to find some form of gracious separation. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I, I think that's where we're at. Um, and the fact of the matter is when you have two positions that are mutually exclusive and it is a, a salvific issue, I mean, the, I hear this all the time that uh, this is not a salvific issue from those in the revisionist camp, but for us in the Orthodox camp, it is. But they say, but isn't this just like the women in office issue? My answer is absolutely not. And the reason why is because both camps, complementarian and egalitarian, have determined that one can come to either conclusion and it is not a matter of salvation. Well, this is not an issue where we are in agreement that it is an issue of salvation or not. Uh, so that tells you we have two views that are mutually exclusive. They cannot coexist together uh, in, in a local structure. I don't think it works. In a classical structure, I don't believe it works. And a denominational structure, we have seen how it doesn't work. Um, so I do think there does come a point to say, let's be calm here. And let's speak to each other in a very honest and biblical tone, speaking the truth to one another in love, understanding that there has arisen between us a sharp disagreement to the point where I'm going this way, you're going that way. Go with God's blessing. Go and serve God in a way that your conscience can be honored. And I'm going to do the same here. That's all we have for this week. If you want to help us out and support the Messy Reformation, another thing you can do is head on over to themessyreformation.com. Look in the menu bar and find Join the Reformation. By clicking on that, you can sign up for our newsletter where you'll get episodes sent right directly to your email inbox, and it will give us the opportunity to communicate with our audience, which is one of the biggest struggles of a podcast. So head on over there and sign up for our newsletter. Now, stay tuned next week to hear part two of Willie and I's conversation about what happened at Synod 2023. But until then, don't forget this is Christ Church, and he bought it with his blood.
and we've been warned that wolves will come in trying to destroy the flock. So keep a close watch on your life and on your doctrine. Preach the word in season and out of season, and keep fighting the good fight in this messy reformation.